It was a wild roller coaster season for Austin Hayes. He looked like an all star in the first half, and it was rough in the second half. So we'll try to figure out what kind of player is he going to be moving forward. We try to answer that question coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, November 15th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to take a look back at the 2022 season for Austin Hayes. We continue our Orioles player season review series. We'll take a look at what was good for Hayes. Through the month of June, he was killing it. And what was bad for Hayes in July, August, and September that made us worry once again about what kind of PC is for the Orioles moving forward. And we'll also talk about you know, where does Austin Hayes stand with the Baltimore Orioles heading into 2023. We'll also touch on a bit the Rule 5 Draft Protection deadline is actually tonight, Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time is the deadline. The Orioles have six open spots on the 40-man roster. Will they fill them all with prospects? We'll talk about who's eligible and who the Orioles could select coming up later. And we'll also briefly talk about Adley Rutschman. AL Rookie of the Year award came out. He did not get it. Finishes second behind Julio Rodriguez. We'll break down why that was the case and what it means for the Orioles long-term coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. But before we get there, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. Of course, you can watch the podcast right here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. We thank you so much for the kind words and uh, continued support of the podcast. Again, we're going five days a week through the winter meetings, through mid-December here in the offseason, covering all of, hopefully, some Orioles moves and some moves in free agency in general that hopefully will start to pick up sometime soon. I think we got a little spoiled by last offseason, not in the fact that we had to sit through a lockout, but once the lockout ended, it was boom, 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 boom with these free agent signing You know, before the season was about to start. Now we have a regular... Off season, it's a little bit shorter this year because the season ended a little bit later than it usually does. But generally, we have a normal lasting off season, and what that's meant over the past decade or so is signings get pushed later and later, you know, into the new year sometimes. So we just kind of have to sit and wait. But we'll have it all covered right here on the podcast. But today we start with a continuation of our 2022 Orioles Player Season Review Series, and we go to a guy who. May have had the most polarizing season of any Oriole this year. That is Austin Hayes, who started off great, ended terribly, and it feels like still has many of the question marks going into 2023 that he had with the Orioles heading into 2022. So where I wanted to start with Austin Hayes is Austin Hayes, BC. That's before the cycle. Because the biggest moment for Austin Hayes this year was June 23rd in the rain at Oriole Park against the Washington Nationals. He hits for the cycle and does it in just four at-bats in Orioles' win. It was cool to see him do it in the rain. The game actually got shortened by rain. They only played, I believe, six innings in that one, and he still hit for the cycle in that game. It was awesome to see. The Orioles won. They were starting to play better baseball at that point in late June. And it just got Austin Hayes' stats to a point where you felt like, 
This guy's an all-star. I mean, we did episodes here on the podcast comparing Austin Hayes to the other outfielders through that point, you know, through the end of June in the American League, and he wasn't kind of rating to be a starter, but he had a pretty good chance if he kept playing like that to be an all-star reserve in the outfield and represent the Orioles. There was a, a good chance. Because if you look what he did through June 23rd, this includes the cycle game that day. 275 plate appearances, a solid sample size. He was playing every day. Hitting 287 with a 345 on base and a 482 slugging. He had 10 home runs. He had 17 doubles. And he also wasn't striking out as much as he usually does, about 18%. Was walking more than he usually does, 7%. Still not great, but it's more than your usual Austin Hayes. Was just getting on base more, 34% hard hit rate, was hit the ball harder, and a 136 WRC+. plus. He was 36% better than the league average hitter through June 23rd after he hit for the cycle that night. And, you know, he finished off June with a, a few more hits. And at the end of June, you're looking, you know, through three months of the year ago, and this guy is an all-star right now. And he just, he did it early in the year. You know, he starts with a red-hot April, one of the best months I could ever remember Austin Hayes having was April. That's how he got his season started. Hit 293 in April and 843 OPS. He had a 144 WRC plus, and he had an 11% walk rate in April. That may have been the highest walk rate for any month of Austin Hayes' career. That's why a lot of us, including myself, felt he had turned it around, not just because of the average and the power. He's had months like that before, but we'd never seen that walk rate that high. That's always been his issue, a free swinger who won't take his walks. And I thought... He's maybe turned this thing around. And in May, he had a similarly great month, hit 299, had about an 800 OPS, a 130 WRC+. Walk rate fell to about 7%, but still better than you usually see from Austin Hayes. And we're looking at him kind of maintaining what he's doing. Now, he took a little bit of a step back in June, but it was still a great month. Hit 250, but with more power, had a 123 WRC+. Plus, plus as I should say, again, the OPS was right around 800. And you're thinking... This could be it. Now, he had been pretty much healthy for most of the year. Now, on May 12th, he did slide in that game in St. Louis, get his hand all cut up. He basically missed the, the next four games after that and then came back, but the hand was still bothering him for a bit. Didn't seem to bother him too much. Still had a great May and, and a really good June. But that was really the only real injury that, that Hayes had at least up to that point. And he was, I mean, he was playing great in the outfield. You know, the O's moved him over to left field because of the new wall out there, a lot more space to roam, and, and basically became a second center fielder next to Cedric Mullins with all that area out there. And he was playing well out in left field. I mean, he was throwing base runners out left and right. We saw so many outfield assists from Austin Hayes. That arm strength, I mean, he continued to show he had by far the best arm in the Orioles outfield and one of the best arms in all of Major League Baseball among outfielders. And, you know, Jim Palmer was laughing on broadcasts when guys would try to run against Austin Hayes because it just was not a good idea. And he was throwing guys out at every base. He was legitimately going to be an all-star. And he was hitting in the middle of the Orioles order. I mean, you could see him anywhere from second to fifth. I mean, he was really hitting second, third, or fourth for a, a stretch there, especially before Adley Rutschman kind of got moved into the two-hole. You would see Austin Hayes there a lot, or third. We saw him hit, hit fourth really a lot. That was the position he hit the most when he was hot early in the season. He was one of the anchors of this Orioles lineup. It was huge to get that production because after the great 2021, Cedric Mullins was starting off a little slow. He wasn't the hitter we had seen the season before, and the Orioles didn't have Adley Rutschman yet. He was still injured, and 
you know, Ryan Mountcastle was trying to pull things along, and Ramon Arias, you know, a guy who they had relied on some the year before, was just ice cold to start the season. So they really needed Austin Hayes. I mean, the offense in, in general was still really struggling early in the year, but Hayes was one of the bright spots, and that's why he was hitting second, third, and fourth. But something changed. And again, the hand injury, you can talk about it, but it was on May 12th. And he didn't really start slumping until July. So I don't really know if it was that. Something just went away. And Hayes talked about it. You know, his swing decisions just stopped being as good as they were early in the season. Wasn't getting the pitches he wanted. Whatever it was. But that great start to the year. You know, those first 275 plate appearances through the cycle game. The 136 WRC+, plus, all the power hitting for average. It just kind of went away as we got to July. And coming up next... I'm going to talk about how bad those numbers dipped and then where Austin Hayes stands now at the end of another just weird big league season. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by betonline.net, which is your number one source for all your sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis this season. You can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. Of course, you got football every weekend, the NFL and college football. College football, only two weekends left of the regular season. Get the lines and odds for every game at Bet Online. They've also got basketball, not just the NBA, but college basketball started last week. They've got soccer as well. We're less than a week away from the start of the World Cup. You get the lines for every game at Bet Online. And if you love sports podcasts, which I hope you do if you're listening to this one, you can find those at Bet Online as well. They're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. That's Bet Online, where the game starts. So Austin Hayes started his season with a bang. You know, those first three months of the year, probably the best three month stretch we've ever seen at the plate out of Austin Hayes. And, you know, you have the 27-year-old outfielder and, you know, he's finally starting to pull it together. Many thought uh, maybe the Orioles brought him up just a little too early when he came up at the end of the year in 2017 at age 21, played 20 games, and then did not get to the big leagues at all in 2018, despite the Orioles trading away all their players. But, you know, he comes back up in, in 19, plays a bit, and, you know, plays a good amount in 2020, and then assumes an everyday role in 2021 and, and backs it up in 22. But, after everything that he did early in the year in 2022, you were bound to think this has got to be a better season than last year for Austin Hayes, who in 2021 had about a 2.3 war, according to Fangraphs, a 106 WRC+. Plus. You know, he hit about 256. You're thinking, that's a solid year. It's still an above average major league hitter with some solid defense, but he's going to be better, much better by the end of this year. Well, none of that happened. Because after June 23rd, after he hit for the cycle against the Nationals, the stats were so bad in that stretch that he ended up having worse numbers across the board this year than he had last year. And you couldn't believe it, but it got bad. Starting on June 24th, the day after the cycle, and heading through the end of the season, in 307 plate appearances, which is only a, a few more than the early sample size we had before the cycle, he hit just 218 with a 270 on base percentage and a 352 slugging, just six home runs, 18 doubles, you know, they were still there. But his hard hit rate went down 6%, his strikeout rate went up to 21%, his walk rate fell to 5%, and after a 136 WRC plus through the cycle game, he had just a 77 WRC plus from June 24th on. 
not good. And the months after being good, 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 April, May, June, they were just bad, 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 July, August, September. July hits 202, 63 WRC+. August hits 213 with a 79 WRC+. September, he at least was playable. You know, hit 242 with a 656 OPS, had an 87 WRC+. He was still bad, but he was he was at least playable in September and October. He really wasn't in July or August at times. And he came out of the lineup from time to time. I mean, once, you know, Kyle Stowers and Taron Favreau were called up, they were taking some of his at-bats away. I mean, Ryan McKenna was playing a little bit over him. I mean, you had Brett Phillips in there at one point getting some ABs, and he wasn't the everyday player anymore. And even when he did play, you know, he was hitting seventh or eighth in the lineup instead of the you know second, third, or fourth that we saw him in the first half. And, and again, the walks were down, the strikeouts were up. He, he was rolling over a lot more. He was popping up a lot more balls. He just wasn't having that same quality of contact. Again, wasn't hitting the ball as hard, wasn't making those good swing decisions. He was back to kind of the old Austin Hayes with, you know, the low walk rate and the high strikeout rate, but even worse because he wasn't putting the ball in play as much as he usually does. And what was a little bit concerning for Austin Hayes is that he wasn't really hitting the fastball. And you like for guys to be able to hit the fastball. You know, there's guys that, if they struggle, all right, they can hit the fastball, just can't hit the breaking ball. He wasn't really hitting the fastball. He hit just 246 against fastballs this year. It was the worst against any pitch. And specifically in the second half of the season, he hit just 200 against fastballs after the All-Star break. Just simply could not catch up to anybody's fastball, whether somebody throwing 101 or, or just a dude throwing 93. Hayes just could not get to it especially in the second half of the season. And that was basically his downfall. And you look at everything that he did with all the struggles in the second half and every stat getting worse. As I mentioned, he ended up worse offensively across the board this year than he was last year, despite the great start. And, you know, he played more games this year. He played 145 games by far a career high, had 582 plate appearances, stayed generally healthy throughout the year, which is not something you can really ever say in the previous part of his career for Austin Hayes. But this season, you know, 250 average, lower than last year, 306 on base, lower than last year, 413 slugging, well lower than last year, had a 105 WRC plus this year after a 106 the year before, 1.5 F war this year after 2.3 the year before. His walk rate actually did go up 5.3 to 5.8. Strikeout rate, down a bit, 20.2 to 19.6%, so you, you at least like that, but only hit 16 home runs versus the 22 the year before, drove in less runs, only stole two bases. It wasn't really a factor there for the Orioles. And it was tough. I mean, his doubles went up from, from 26 to 35, but that was about it. I mean, anything else, he just wasn't giving you anything in the second half. So you're trying to piece the puzzle together of Austin Hayes. You know, he still got the arm strength, 92nd percentile in all of baseball in arm strength from the outfield, but his defensive stats as a whole, when you take out just the arm, he was not as good. He did not cover as much ground this year. He had a negative five defensive run saved and a negative six outs above average. That was the first time in his career he was negative in either of those stats in the field in the big leagues. That's not what you want to see. Remember, he had 14 defensive runs saved in the outfield in 2021. He was down to negative five this year. Objectively, the defense got worse. And, you know, it's not like he at least mashed one side of the plate all year where you can say, hey, you know, he was still hitting lefties well, so at least he's done that. 
he was basically even against both sides. His his stats were pretty close to identical against left-handed pitchers and then right-handed pitchers throughout the year. He didn't really mash one side where he at least fits as as maybe a platoon guy if he can't stick as an everyday player. So you just look at Hayes and the struggles. You look at you know the fact that Kyle Stowers and Taron Vavra are already both in the big leagues, both you know play a little better at Camden Yards being left-handed hitters with the new wall versus Hayes being a right-handed hitter. And although Stowers and Vavra didn't exactly light the world on fire offensively down the stretch, you could see a higher upside as a hitter, maybe if you look close enough for both of those guys over Austin Hayes. And then when you factor in the fact that, that Colton Kowser in the outfield got to AAA, had a great minor league season, and I think there's a very real possibility that Kowser gets into the big leagues with the Orioles at some point in 2023. And when beyond that, you look around at the free agents this offseason and I'm thinking the O's have a good chance of adding an outfielder, whether it be kind of a DH slash outfield type or a true outfielder to compete with Hayes. I think they're going to do it. Maybe a guy who mashes lefties. I've mentioned AJ Pollock in the past, who could be kind of a good cheap option who really hits lefties well. And I mean, might be an upgrade over Austin Hayes at this point. So you look at Hayes. I mean, people have talked about, you know, could he be non-tendered? I wouldn't go that far with Austin Hayes. I mean, he's still 27. You still have, you know, years of of team control over Austin Hayes. He's not going to be a free agent for a while. He's just hitting arbitration. MLB trade rumors predicting he'll be due about $3.1 million in arbitration. If Michael Elias, you know, really saying it's going to be liftoff and they're, they're going to really increase the payroll this offseason, $3.1 million should not be the breaking point for a guy like Austin Hayes, who still, you know, is going to be worth two war and, and is still an asset for any team to have, just maybe not as good of one as the O's would have thought a couple years ago. I don't think they're going to non-tender him. $3.1 million. He could still break out and have a full season like his first half last year. You bring him back in that case. But could he be moved to more of a platoon role? Maybe not playing six days a week role? Could he be traded? I mean, there's there's a potential there. Now, I wouldn't see it being a, you know, Austin Hayes for one double-A prospect trade, but maybe more of a, hey, the Orioles are going to to get a mid-tier, you know, number three-ish starting pitcher. They've offered two prospects, and the other team says, that's good, but if you throw in Austin Hayes, we'll make it a done deal. I could see maybe that happening for a team like the Marlins, for example, who are trading from their pitching and are looking for current big league offensive help and maybe some guys they can help you know, get to that next level with everyday playing time. And, and I think Austin Hayes would totally fit a Marlins outfield that can't seem to get anybody in there who can hit the ball at all. So yeah, he could be traded this offseason. I don't think he'll be non-tendered, but he could be moved to a lower role, could be traded. There's a scenario where he still comes into next year as the Orioles' starting left fielder. You know, he puts some work, more work in in the offseason. I can see it. He's still a part of this team moving forward. He's still only 27. But, man, how bad he looked at the plate down the stretch is seared in my mind much more than how good he looked at the plate early in the season. And I think that's the issue because it's been more bad than good overall for Austin Hayes in his long time in an Orioles uniform. And while I don't think the Orioles are just cast him aside, if it takes involving Austin Hayes in a trade to get a guy they want, I think they'll do it. And if they can upgrade in that outfield via free agency and move Austin Hayes to more of a part-time role, I think they'll do it. Because 
I don't think you can just trust him to be a productive everyday player at this point. And it's unfortunate because he was really exciting when he first got to the big leagues. But it just it hasn't all come together for Austin Hayes. But we're going to finish up today's episode talking about some prospects for the Orioles and some younger guys than Austin Hayes. As the Rule 5 protection deadline is coming up later today, we'll talk about which players could be added to that 40-man roster. And also Adley Rutschman in the news on Monday. He was up for the American League Rookie of the Year. Did he win it? We'll talk about that coming up next. So we're finishing up today's episode with a couple of Orioles news and notes here on the pod. And let's start with Adley Rutschman, who we found out on Monday night was not awarded the American League Rookie of the Year Award. And to be quite honest with you, I was not surprised at all that Rutschman did not win the award. Now, he finishes second behind Julio Rodriguez. Shout out to him, the Mariner center fielder who wins the award. Steven Kwan of the Cleveland Guardians finishing third behind Rutschman in second. Rutschman only got one first place vote, which was a little surprising. He got 18 second place votes. He got nine third place votes. There were actually two voters who didn't even put Rutschman in their top three which is wild because there is a large drop-off after Rodriguez and Rutschman to then, you know, kind of the candidates like Quan or, or George Kirby and those guys. But, uh, yeah, some two people didn't put him top three, and they, they clearly weren't watching baseball this year, which, whatever, that's fine. But I'm not surprised. And, again, people will point to, you know, kind of the, the deeper stats for Adley Rutschman and how basically in terms of war via fan graphs, Rutschman and, and Rodriguez essentially ended the year even at just over five war on the year. Now, Rodriguez is going to get the boost because his team went to the postseason and Adley Rutschman's did not. And although the voting is done before the postseason starts, you're still going to know which teams are in the playoffs. And I get the argument that, you know, nobody made a bigger impact on their team this year than Adley Rutschman. I get that. You know, the Orioles turning into a winning team basically from the moment he got called up was pretty astounding. But you got to understand what happens in these awards votings. If it's close at all, the guy on the better team is going to win. And to be honest, Julio Rodriguez was a bitter or bigger name in baseball this year. You know, both guys had a 5.3 war. Rodriguez had better hitting stats. He had a 146 WRC plus to Adley's just 133. I would take Julio Rodriguez. I think it makes sense. Guys are going to win. And these awards like MVP and Rookie of the Year and, and Cy Young, I think you should look at the numbers a lot, but I don't think you should look purely at the numbers for these awards because they also need to be about, you know, who was the story of baseball this year? Who owned baseball among rookies, among pitchers, among hitters this year? And, you know, that's why I think Aaron Judge is the shoe-in for the AL MVP because although Shohei Otani was amazing again, Aaron Judge was the story of baseball this year. And because his numbers back it up, He's the MVP. Julio Rodriguez and Adley, yeah, they have the same war, but Rodriguez was much more the story of baseball than Adley Rutschman was this year, and he was a little bit better hitter, so he gets the nod. I don't mind that at all. Rodriguez, a deserving winner, but Adley Rutschman does come in second, which does have some impact on the Orioles moving forward. Now, I hope this impact doesn't come to fruition for the Orioles because I hope either this offseason or next offseason the Orioles can sign Adley Rutschman to a long-term extension because he is their franchise cornerstone and they don't have to worry about when he hits free agency. But right now, with Adley having not signed an extension, 
with the new rule put in place with the new CBA that kicked in this season, if a player finishes in the top two in either the AL or the NL Rookie of the Year voting, they would be awarded an extra year of service time. So basically, a way to reward players who perform well to get to free agency earlier and stop teams from essentially middling with their service time, which is what the Orioles were able to do when they brought up Adley Rutschman. Now, the injury did kind of help them out in this sense, the triceps injury, but because they brought Adley Rutschman up as late as they did in late May, he was then set to be a free agent after 2028. But because Rutschman finished top two, finishing second in the AL Rookie of the Year because of the new CBA, he actually gets that year of service time back. So... Adley Rutschman will now be a free agent after the 2027 season instead of after the 2028 season. And if the Orioles are refusing to pay him an extension at this point, that's pretty important because you lose a year of a guy who looks to be your best player. And you now only have five more years of Adley Rutschman instead of six more years of Adley Rutschman. How you can fix that, well... You sign him to an extension, and hopefully they do that, but that is what happens now that Adley finished top two. But congrats to him for a great season. Congrats to Julio Rodriguez as well. But now, turning our attention to the Rule 5 draft, because the draft is not until December 7th this year. It'll be on the last day of the winter meetings. But today is actually a deadline for the Rule 5 draft. Today, Tuesday, November 15th, if you're listening to this on time, at 6 p.m. Eastern time, is the deadline to protect prospects and put them on the 40-man roster to protect them from the Rule 5 draft. Now, the quick refresher on the Rule 5 draft is something they do at the winter meetings every year, except for last year when it was canceled, as a way to keep teams from hoarding good prospects in the minor leagues for too long. So essentially, this year's class, the college draft picks from the 2019 draft and the high school draft picks from the 2018 draft, along with some international players as well, are now eligible for the Rule 5 draft. So if those players are not placed on the 40-man roster by today's deadline, they will be available for another team to pick up in the Rule 5 draft. Now, as we know, if you do draft another team's player in that said Rule 5 draft, you do then have to keep that player either on the injured list or the big league active roster for the entirety of the following season to keep him in the organization. If you don't keep him around that long, he gets returned to his original team. The Orioles, last time there was a Rule 5 draft, they drafted Tyler Wells and Max Soroller. Soroller was returned to the Reds midseason. Wells stuck around and, of course, had a good year in the Orioles starting rotation this season. But as you look at the Orioles' 40-man roster going into this protection deadline, they have six open spots. There are currently 34 players on the 40-man roster, which means if they don't make any more moves today, which they could, there's a couple players on there that could be DFA'd, they would have six open spots. Now, we don't know if the Orioles are going to use up all of those spots. They certainly don't have to, but there's a chance they could if they really want to protect some of these guys. So there are, I would say, if you go across all the names for the Orioles right now, there's probably 10 names you should be considering for these, you know, six or so spots. And there's a couple other names that probably the Orioles are considering that we don't know about, a la Logan Gillespie, who came out of nowhere to be protected on the 40-man roster last offseason. But I would say there are three stone-cold locks 
to be protected. One, of course, is Grayson Rodriguez, the number one pitching prospect in baseball. He was supposed to be added to the 40-man roster well before this, but because of the injuries and the Orioles taking it slow with him, he was not. So he will be added to the roster coming up today. I would say Joey Ortiz is also a lock. Maybe wasn't the case last year, but after his dominant season this year, he has to be added. And then Seth Johnson would be the final lock. Johnson was one of the two pitchers the Orioles received in return for Trey Mancini in that three-way deal with the Astros and the Rays at the deadline. Johnson came from the Rays system. He was actually the number six ranked prospect in the preseason in the Rays system by Fangraphs. That's a pretty good player, but he had an arm injury, barely pitched this year, and got Tommy John surgery just days after the Orioles acquired him via trade. So Johnson will miss the entirety of the 2023 season, but the reason you have to protect him is because he's a really highly rated prospect and another team is going to select him because what another team can do is they can draft him in the Rule 5 draft, they can keep him on the 40-man roster all offseason, and then on opening day, they can move him to the 60-day injured list. They would still get to keep him. That 40-man roster spot would open. They put him on the 60-day injured list all year, and then they would activate him at the end of next year, and all of a sudden, Seth Johnson would be in their organization. So the Orioles, they're going to basically do what another team would do. They will add Seth Johnson. Then he will stay on the 40-man roster all offseason. When we get to opening day, he'll be placed on the 60-day IL. That'll free up his 40-man spot, and he'll stay on the 60-day all of next year as he rehabs from Tommy John. So those are the three locks, and there are space for those guys, obviously. Then... I would say there's one guy in the probably tier where I wouldn't call him a lock because he's not, you know, like an elite prospect at this point. But I would say Drew Rahm is a probably at this point for the Orioles. Drew Rahm, of course, a left-handed starter who made it to AAA Norfolk with the Orioles this year. One of their higher-ranked pitching prospects at this point. Rahm, who, you know, is known for kind of dropping down his delivery at times and, and being able to get lefties out at a really, really high clip. I think he is a starter moving forward, but his fastball velocity has ticked up and up as he's gone. He's only 22 years old still, was the Orioles' fourth-round pick out of high school in Kentucky in 2018. And this year in the minor leagues for Drew Rahm across all levels, he did have a 4.43 ERA on the season, of course, pitched in Bowie and Norfolk this year. In those seven starts in Norfolk, a 4.54 ERA, 38 innings, 43 strikeouts to just 18 walks. I think they will probably protect him because I think he does have a future in Baltimore. Then I think there's one guy in like the 50-50 tier for me, and that would be Noah Denoyer. Now, Noah Denoyer kind of broke onto the scene this year. He was actually signed as an undrafted free agent after the 2019 draft. And remember, the 2019 draft was a 40-round draft, and Denoyer was not selected. But the Orioles scooped him up as an undrafted free agent out of San Joaquin Delta College. That's a junior college he was pitching at. Denoyer, now 24 years old, and the right-hander had an absolutely dominant year in the minors this year. Just started at Aberdeen, dominated, and then went right to double-A Bowie. And in 51 and two-thirds innings in Bowie, kind of pitched as a starter and then a piggyback follower, would pitch bulk innings out of the bullpen, had a 2.61 ERA, 69 strikeouts to just 11 walks in 52 innings, with a 167 batting average against him, has a, a big-time fastball with great breaking stuff. He's probably going to get protected, maybe more 50-50. I'd say 60-40 in terms of they probably protect him because the stuff is that good. But that was a really good undrafted free agent signing by the Orioles. Then you have the guys who have an outside chance who are eligible to be picked in the Rule 5 draft. Easton Lucas, 
the left-hander the Orioles acquired in the Jonathan VR trade from the Marlins. Uh, he's a guy who, you know, is up to 95 in the Arizona Fall League and looks like he might be a starter even, not just a reliever. Stuff looks good from the left side. He could be a guy. Garrett Stallings, who had an up-and-down year as a starter in A. He came over to the Orioles in the Jose Iglesias trade from the Angels. I think there's a chance, probably not likely. Morgan McSweeney, who had a solid year as a reliever in AAA Norfolk, former Orioles draft pick, a right-hander who throws hard and showed up on the fan graphs, you know, I think 39th in the Orioles system last year. So I got to keep an eye on. And then two more guys I would say are two pitchers who got Tommy John surgery this year for the Orioles, Kyle Brenovich and Zach Peake. Two right-handers who the Orioles both acquired from the Angels in the Dylan Bundy trade. That's the one where they also got Kyle Bradish and Isaac Matson. Both of those guys were having really good years. Uh, Brinovich was in AAA. Zach Peake was in AA. And then both of them went down with injuries. Both had to get Tommy John surgery. And the only reason I would consider the Orioles maybe are protecting them is that they really think highly of one of those guys. And they really think a team would do that kind of draft and stash on the 60-day injured list like they could do with Seth Johnson, I could maybe see the Orioles protecting one of those guys. But again, those are kind of the 10 guys to consider. There could be a couple of relief types out there, you know, that the Orioles may be thinking of that we're not even thinking of. But those are the guys you should look for. And again, six open spots. There could be more. But my prediction is Grayson Rodriguez, Joey Ortiz, and Seth Johnson, Drew Rahm, and Noah Denoyer. My prediction will be five guys that the Orioles select to the roster. And then I'll say one more guy. Honestly, I'll say someone I didn't even mention, someone I didn't even think of, the O's will be high on, and they will add to the roster as well. But here on the podcast, of course, I'll be back with you tomorrow, and we will break down the decisions that the Orioles actually make. We'll go guy by guy, who the Orioles protected on the 40-man roster, and who they didn't, and how likely it is those guys they didn't could get picked in the Rule 5 draft later this winter. But that's all coming up on tomorrow's episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.